Welcome to the April episode of ONP Rising, an original podcast series produced by the American Academy of Orthotists and Prosthetists. I'm Tyler Cagle, an NPO student at UT Southwestern in Dallas, Texas. With me today is Nina Bondre, CPO, FAAOP, and MBA candidate at the University of Pennsylvania's Wharton School of Business. As a patient care provider and educator in ONP, Nina has had a chance to experience the ONP profession from both clinical and corporate perspectives. Additionally, Nina pursues her interests in advocating for diversity, equity, and inclusion efforts within the ONP field. Welcome to the podcast, Nina. Thanks so much for having me today, Tyler. Hi, Nina. I'm very excited to have you join me today to discuss how to be the CEO of your own brand. And this is a topic that should really always be at the top of everyone's mind, especially for all the students and all the people who were just a part of that rising community within our profession. And so as the title of this episode implies, we're here today to discuss how to be the CEO of your own brand. And Nina, I just wanted to see if you could let our listeners know what that means to you. Sure. Um, so I think it starts with the question of, you know, what is important to me and who do I want to be? Who are the people I want to be with in my professional life and on a day-to-day basis? And I think part of answering that question is knowing what you bring to the table in all the different situations that you're in. And I think a challenging part of that can be identifying your unique strengths and how do you communicate those strengths to others? And I also want to make a good distinction here that there should be a balance between doing something that you think will look really great on your resume or be a stepping stone to something else, which I think is really important, especially at the beginning of your career. But you really have to balance that with what you want to do, what excites you, the things that you look forward to doing after work oftentimes. And so really thinking about that as you figure out what activities you want to invest your time in is really important. And there is a fairly fine line between doing things for other people's perceptions, which is very important to get opportunities for them to think of you when something is available, but really also pursuing your passions as well. And that's something you have to reevaluate on a constant basis to make sure, you know, what am I doing and why is this for me or for someone else? Is this serving me and my goals? And then going from there. And absolutely. I really like how you said that there really is a fine line between doing things just to help with other people's perception of you. But I think what's really important, especially for rising professionals, is you have to pursue something that you're interested in. You can't just do it for somebody else. And I mean, that's probably why we're all here in this profession in the first place. But yeah, I'm, I'm really glad you mentioned that. And continuing on this topic, I just wanted to see if you could let our listeners know how your experiences in the field have shaped who you are today. Absolutely. I'd love to share that with you all. So I was fortunate to actually shadow in ONP back in high school. And I was very fortunate to actually end up doing my residency and clinical work at the same location. So I'd kept in touch with them for many years um, at Dankmire, and I felt very blessed and grateful to be there. And also during college, I had a chance to work with the Range of Motion Project in Ecuador, which showed me what care is like abroad um, with different levels of resources, different patient populations, and just not a setting that was the U.S. reimbursement system. So that was a really lovely experience as well. It gave me a lot of appreciation for what we do have available in the States. So when I worked at Dankmeyer, both as a resident and a CPO, I enjoyed a very big exposure to a lot of different types of healthcare professionals that we got to work with very closely and really understanding their rules. What does everyone bring to the table? What are everyone's contributions, perspectives? What is important to them as they're looking at this care plan for the patient? It was also wonderful to see such a wide variety of patient diagnoses, patients from different socioeconomic backgrounds, understanding what are the different factors that are significant in someone's care recovery. 
And I think it was really great to work with such a large clinical care team and have a lot of mentorship during that time as well. And something I realized when I was working as a clinician was just the lack of healthcare resources overall in the U.S. for a lot of low-income families, people who may not have a strong support system at home or just may not have a lot of understanding of their medical issues. And I started to realize how fortunate we were in our field that we have these nice big appointment blocks. We really get to know our patients and we see them for years and years. We see our patients grow up, we see them develop and change. And I thought that was really beautiful in a healthcare system that often prioritizes a lot of efficiency, very short appointment times. And I really started to think about how can I serve these patients best? How do we give them the best care? And so this has really allowed me to think about how my trajectory will change based on these patients I worked with. And actually now the career goals that I'm pursuing, I'm really focused on thinking about these patients that I saw every day and really loved working with. What can I do now on more of the business side to combine my clinical skills with this business knowledge to serve these patients the best? And I feel very grateful for having that exposure during my clinical role. Absolutely. Having a diverse portfolio and helping everyone who asks for the assistance, all the experience that you've had, you're essentially coalescing all of this into a brand that you have of yourself. And this is how you're coming off to other people, not because you want them to perceive you a certain way, but because this is what your passion is. And this is what you want to pursue. And you want to better yourself in whatever way. If, if that sounds like it's a fair assumption to make. Yeah, I think that's a really great summary and a great observation of what we've spoken about so far. You know, you, you keep trying different things and you realize, oh, I, I love working with this patient population or I really like working with this type of team. Or when I come to work, I feel this very positive energy with my colleagues. And so those pieces, you start to realize what's important to you. And the more you pursue them, that really becomes a big part of who you are. Absolutely. Now, this was always an interesting topic to me because this is the, or at least for me, I was thinking, oh, I'm just going to be a clinician. This is what I'm starting out as. But for you, you actually went through the clinician role. You were at the top. You had it all. But now, <laughs> what convinced you to pursue an MBA at the Wharton School of Business following your experiences at its a clinical care provider? Yeah, so like many folks said uh, during the pandemic, I was at home thinking about life and thinking about what is my impact in the world right now? Is this the impact I want to have? And what can I do? Because I still felt like I could do anything I wanted to. And I still feel that way. Like there's a lot of good that we can all do. And I wanted to assess, I'm really happy with where I am. I liked the role. I liked my team. I said, maybe there's something else I can do to to address some of the things that I saw in clinical practice. And maybe I can be part of that solution. And I was really reflecting on the fact that I had the chance to be on the front lines of OMP, I saw all you know all the clinical care in different parts of the world, different areas. I traveled and visited other clinics, and then I've had some experience in different parts of professional organizations. And then I worked on the corporate and business side, and I was just seeing that we all need a little bit more alignment. And we have so many good people at all levels of OMP that are just doing their best to make the field better and take care of our patients. And I was thinking, well, we need more cohesion and alignment, and maybe I can be part of that solution. And a little selfishly, I want to see more clinicians in those big leadership roles. I think we have so much to offer from being on the front lines. And I think it's funny um, what you were saying, you know, just a clinician. I think being a clinician is a really powerful and really impactful position. So if you choose to do that for the rest of your life, I really admire that. That is 
an incredible role to have and to everyone that has been doing this for so many years. I really tip my hat to you. That is so impressive. We help people every day and that is so important to these patients. So really, I have so much appreciation for what we do in our field. And then I was thinking if we could have more of that clinical piece in leadership roles, we would be a lot more powerful. And all of us thinking about the quality of patient care combined with best business practices, we can all be more successful. I think the last piece is I want to see more women in leadership roles in our field. And I think I can be part of that solution and help diversify some of the leadership pool at the top. Absolutely. And I like how you're mentioning that just being a clinician, it's not just being a clinician. You know, you're how you said you're on the front lines. Like you are the ones that are essentially the ambassadors, but also the professionals for this field. You're presented with a patient and the patient may, you know, not know anything about this field, but they know that, or at least at the end of the day, they would hope that you are there to help them and maximize their quality of life. And I know for me personally, that was kind of what got me into the field in the first place, was just shadowing clinicians. And that was what kind of sparked my interest in identifying my true passion for the field. And now that I'm in school right now, can't wait to get out there and start it all over again and start uh, seeing patients, especially with residency. But keeping on topic for identifying your true passion, how would you recommend that you identify your true passions within this field? And how do you market yourself or extending opportunities for these passions? So I think it's important to try as many things as possible early and kind of fail early too and figure out, well, I'm not good at this or, hey, this was really fantastic or I loved working with this person or this organization. And I think part of that is stating bravely to other people, I would like to write for the ONP Edge. I want to be president of the academy. I would like to be in a teaching position one day. And that also makes people excited to help you on your journey. I couldn't stress enough how many wonderful people I've met in the field where I say, hey, I'd, li I'd like to go into teaching one day. And they're already thinking of who they can connect to me with, thinking of what I should do to what resources, because our field is made up of people that want to help others. And so that sense of community is something I've actually appreciated even more being in business school and, and kind of being out of our field. Coming back to uh, the Academy Conference this year, was like coming back home and being part of that community and feeling supported again. So I think that is often understated and undervalued in our field. And as students and residents, we're just itching and dying for you to reach out and ask us a question. Like we would love to support and assist, um, you know, as you are pursuing your professional and personal goals. And I think part of stating those goals out loud is keeping yourself accountable. So I had mentioned to my friend, you know, hey, I'd like to do X, Y, Z over the summer. And she said, I would love to be your accountability buddy. I said, what a great idea. We can just keep each other on track. I think that just helps you to stay focused on what's important to you. And another piece that I think I was very fortunate to encounter when I was working as a clinician was I stated to my employer, I'd love to be involved with teaching opportunities. And they were very supportive. They pulled me in as much as they could for the teaching we already did at Dinkmeyer. And that was definitely a wonderful place to start. And so I feel very grateful for that, that they were so open to supporting me in that endeavor because I did end up in a teaching role eventually. And the last piece I'll say is that our field is so small. Everyone is one, maybe two people away from you, and they're always excited to connect and make those connections. And, in the, and I guess the actual last piece I'll say is our professional organizations are very responsive. They want to involve students, residents, people at all levels. So reaching out, they will be happy to connect you with an opportunity that is of interest to you or just to try something out. 
And you make amazing points there, Nina. I know that's probably one of the biggest things that I loved about going to the academy this past year in Nashville, which to me was my first academy meeting. And I already kind of had an idea of what it would be like because we also went to AOPA, which was in San Antonio this past year. Mm -hmm. And you, you always hear that it's a small field. And then you go there and then you see that it really is small. Like this is an entire nation meeting into this one building. Everyone knows somebody some way. <laughs> because it's so small, you're getting this direct communication with people who want to help you, but then also for people who you can help as well. Everyone loves to network, especially at these events, but I feel like it's made a lot easier within this field because of how accessible and how small it is. And I've always been a big fish in a small pond kind of guy. And I think that's probably why I always wanted to join this field as well. But keeping on topic with the passions that we are pursuing, how exactly would you recommend that someone who's a rising professional position themselves to make sure that they're on that trajectory to reach their desired goal? So whether the goal is getting a job, getting into grad school, being a research prosthetist, orthotist, basically, once you wanted it, how did you get it? Sure. Uh, so I, I like to think that you you take your long-term goal and you just kind of rewind from there and step backwards, break it all into small parts, and you look at where you are currently, almost like an inventory assessment. You say, you know, I'd like to go into teaching. Okay, great. What is your proof of concept if you want to try to get a job today? Do you have some kind of almost a receipts? Can you say, I've done teaching in the past or I'm taking a course, et cetera, things like that? So there is also the, that personal assessment. And then looking at who's in my network, do I have connections to people in teaching? Are they people I could reach out to understand a little bit more about what that role looks like? Then you look at what the gap is. You say, I'm at point A, I need to be at point D. So what are all the pieces in between I need to fill in? You know, to go with that teaching education example, I looked at that as a long-term goal. Actually, when I started clinical care and thought, I would love to be a professor long-term because I thought that would be something um, that would be really fun. I had always enjoyed communicating ideas to others, thinking of the same idea from different perspectives and different ways to express that. And so I thought about, okay, as a resident, what's the gap that I have to overcome to then be considered for a professor one day? And then later I realized that would become clinical education. And so I really thought about, you know, if I want to be, let's go with the clinical educator piece, I think about what the ideal candidate looks like. I just brainstormed, okay, ideally they would want someone that has worked with a lot of different types of patients, a lot of different types of settings. If they mention a prosthetic foot to me, I should know at least a little bit about it to have a conversation. So I should have a pretty wide understanding of what the field looks like in terms of the product. I should be able to interact with a lot of different people as well. So I should be able to have good conversation skills, I'm able to talk to people from different backgrounds, people that don't look like me, people that come from different places. And of course, you need strong presentation skills, both in creating content, public speaking. So I said, okay, this is the ideal candidate. How would I assess myself compared to this ideal candidate? And then I worked backwards to figure out what those gaps were. And like I mentioned before a little bit, part of that was stating my interest in teaching to my employer, asking to shout on any teaching opportunities, Something that I was also really fortunate to attend uh, while I was working in the clinical was attending a lot of smaller regional ONP conferences and just talking to as many new people as possible and expressing interest to conference organizers that I would like to present and pitching topics of what I had seen. And other things that you may not think about, sharing your experience as a resident 
is also really valuable to other people that may want to start residency programs or other residents of the conference. So even things like that, you may feel at the beginning of your career, oh, I don't have a lot to offer. I'm not an expert, but everyone has something to offer. You just need to figure out what that is. And often that can be understood just by talking to people. They would say, hey, you've actually worked in a really unique setting. I'd love to hear about it. So I think a lot of it is just talking to people and getting that reflected back to you as well. And so on top of attending conferences, I tried to talk to a lot of different clinical educators. And then as I was assessing between that and professors, you know, talking to them in the field, understanding what does your day-to-day -day actually look like? This sounds fantastic, but on a day-to-day -day basis, are you talking to a lot of different people all day? Are you on your computer a lot? Are you traveling? And so that was really good to understand as well. And then during my clinical days, I did the best I could to get very wide clinical exposure and challenge myself in order to get that wide variety of clinical pieces. And actually, when I was ready to make that transition to clinical educator role, and I attended the next conference, I think it was the academy meeting, I went around to every single manufacturer, had my resume ready, expressed my interest, and then just kept following up. And fortunately, that, that worked out. So I think stating really clearly what you like, what you have to offer, will lead to success ultimately. And, you know, I completely agree with that because as a self-described introverted person, <laughs> you kind of have to be a go-getter when it comes to developing not only your professional brand, but also opening up opportunities for you. And so I like how you said that you basically went to every manufacturer. You came prepared, you knew what you wanted, you not only knew what you wanted, but you also researched what they were looking for and what they wanted. And I feel like when it comes to not being introverted, whenever you are going to these meetings, you really just need to kind of think of them as like, hey, they're just like me. They want something. I can provide it and I can offer them just as much as they can offer me. And so everyone is here to help each other because it's such a small field. It's pretty surprising to see and understand that everyone is so supportive because they've been in your shoes before. And I know it's a little intimidating, especially from a student perspective, it's a little bit intimidating to step on, on that floor and see everyone's just kind of having old conversations like they've been friends for many years. And that's the case for many people. <laughs> but it's always great to see that everyone is so welcoming. And so you also need to understand, hey, how can I use this to my advantage? But not in a disingenuous way, but more as a... I can help you. You can definitely help me. These are my goals. This is what I want to do for you. And with the OMP profession developing at such a rapid pace, anyone who's involved in the profession really needs to ensure that they keep their options open when it comes to their career trajectory. And Nina, would you be willing to just kind of discuss the mentors that you've had in your life? Certainly. Um, so very lucky, grateful to have us to a wide variety of mentors in this field in particular. And our field is still mostly male-dominated, especially leadership positions. Most of our leaders are white. And a lot of people said, oh, it's, it's too bad that there's no Indian women for you to be a mentor to in these positions. But I said, well, there's a couple. And also, I don't need a mentor that necessarily looks like me. I think there's so much value in having these almost cross-racial, cross-gender relationships in the mentoring piece. That's where that value is. You don't need to look like each other to have a very fruitful mentorship relationship. And these folks have become some of my closest friends. And they're so excited to help people that are young, up and coming in the field. And I think that's really important that there is some comfort in 
having a mentor that looks like you, there will be some shared experiences that I can't always relate to with my mentors. But then there's so much else that we do share, all the clinical pieces, being in this field, patient care. There's so many things we have to connect on. And so most of my mentors are white men and they have we have a big age gap. And I think that's always been such a great relationship to understand where their perspectives are, how they got into these leadership roles, how I could emulate those actions to get to where they are. And so I think that's great. Our field is becoming more diverse. So there are more options for what mentor mentee relationships can look like. But I think if there's someone that you think is an awesome person to be your mentor, just go for it. People will be excited to help you. And on this mentorship piece, make sure you follow up. There's so many mentorship relationships I've had as the mentor where I've been I spoke with a mentee once and I've never heard from her again. I think if you just keep showing up and you express that interest, it becomes this really great long-lasting relationship. And that's really on the mentee to maintain. So when you get that opportunity, make sure you keep up with that. Even every few months, there will be something to talk about and check in. So make sure that you don't lose those wonderful people in your life. Nina, that was so well put. I completely agree with you. We all are connected by one interest and that interest is to help our patients and it shouldn't ever matter, and it frankly doesn't matter what color your skin is or what your background is. We're all here with the same purpose. It's not even a feature. It is what has this program, what has this field become? It's becoming more diverse. It is becoming more eclectic. It is becoming more accessible to everyone of all backgrounds, ethnicities, race, gender. Like even in my class, for instance, it used to be maybe like 20 years ago, it was, like you said, it's primarily male-dominated. In my class right now, we have 12 people. Seven of them are female, five are male. So you can see that it's already shifting. And this is just for my small class that I have. But you can see that this pattern of transition from being male-dominated, primarily white male-dominated, to a more diverse community of practitioners. And so I just really believe that this will overall be the benefit of our program because we are having all these people of different backgrounds join in together for a common cause. Now, Nina, would you be willing to provide us with a brief background of all the different hats that you've worn throughout your professional career and how you were able to position yourself as a candidate for those jobs? Because I know you, you've you definitely worn a lot of hats. <laughs> Most certainly. I'd be happy to share that. And it and just to back to what you were saying earlier, I'm so glad that that's your impression of your field too. And it's so refreshing to hear from someone that's starting out that we still have that great energy um, and community in that show. So that, that makes me really happy because that's definitely the sense that I get every time I show up to a conference or on a committee call. Um, so that's really lovely to hear. And to your point as well about being more of an introvert, there's so many great ways to engage in smaller group settings and have a chance to connect one-on-one. -on -one. So even if that's not necessarily your personality to be the center of the party or the most extroverted outgoing person, there's always ways to engage that really magnify your unique strengths. So I appreciate you bringing that up. And then in terms of, you know, these various career hats. So when I realized I wanted to be in clinical and, you know, be a CPO, like I mentioned, I was fortunate to shadow at Dankmeyer in high school, worked with the Range of Motion Project in Ecuador, and it really gave me a sense for the day-to-day and made sure that this was the field I wanted to pursue. So I really understood this sounds great, but what does it actually look like? Um, and then the common thread that I saw when I was shadowing at both these places was, like I mentioned before a little bit, just those deep relationships um, and that sense of teamwork with other clinicians. And I, I really, really loved that. And that's something I still actively seek out to this day. So as I'm looking at new roles now as an MBA candidate, I'm thinking, 
how do I best to recreate the teamwork that I felt when I was in my clinical roles? Because that's something that I almost crave. I know that I do well in those environments and that makes me really happy. And then moving on to more of the clinical education and education specialist roles, I was really thinking about, we talked about a little bit before, just working backwards from what the angle looks like, really reading job descriptions too, and then talking to people and asking what they do on that daily basis, understanding where you are currently, and then filling in those gaps. And a lot of that was, I will see, keeping my name out there. So I was Again, fortunate, you'll hear that word a lot during our conversation, um, to present at the Academy, which was my first presentation. So grateful for that too. Um, back when I was a student back in 2014, so many, many years ago, um, that was my start in the presenting world. And so keeping my name out there, I just kept pitching different ideas for different conferences. I started to write for the OMP Edge, also was connected with someone that was writing there at the time. And so I wanted to stay relevant. You know, when I introduced myself to someone at a conference, they'd say, oh, I've, I've read your article, or I saw your presentation. And to keep yourself relevant so that when there is an opportunity that comes up in clinical education, I would say, oh, that's right. Nina mentioned she was interested and she has a track record, kind of that proof of concept we mentioned before, that she's done these things in the past. She'd be a great candidate. And so I was hoping all those things would come together. And as my dad has told me, uh, hard work doesn't go to waste. So if that first thing doesn't work out, you still learn a lot along the way. The process is very important. Your personal development is very important. That does yield success in the long run. So stick with it if that's what you want. And then in terms of, you know, that third, the third hat, as an MBA candidate, and I love speaking about this because I did not plan this transition. I know a lot of folks that do this degree think about it more long term, but back in 2021, I was assessing what could my impact be. I thought, I think this is the way to really get into a broader impact role, to get into management, to understand what's out there beyond O&P, and then come back to our field in the future, having learned things outside of our field. And so I, I really appreciate that I didn't plan this one too carefully, but I think I was able to be successful and get into a school that I was very excited about because I had been so involved in so many different parts of the field. I really understood how the field works. And so I could very clearly say, this is where I want to plug in to the field later with this business degree. And this combined with my clinical skills will be a good combination because I've seen XYZ problems. And I did the same process for applying to school as well, talking to as many people as I could, understanding those gaps I might have in my application and doing my best to address them before actually submitting the application. And then just to give you a sense of some of the other pieces I've been involved with beyond just the nine to five, uh, my full-time role, I've also had the chance to work with several professional committees as part of the Academy and AOBA, written several articles for The Edge, and I've done about 20 presentations by the time I applied to business school because that was something I really loved. And I'm excited, hopefully, to keep continuing that trend, um, even being out of the field or a little bit out of the field. And then I also had a chance to be um, NCOPE Regional Resident Liaison, and I helped NCOPE with their career expo as well. And these opportunities simply came about by being reliable, showing up, expressing interest, following through. I think we all know these words, but if when you actually do them consistently, when I know that Tyler's going to show up to every meeting on time, prepared, has done his work on time, has communicated, I'm definitely going to pull him for the next opportunity. And so even showing up with that enthusiasm, excitement, having done everything, I think you're going to be in a good spot then to be, oh, I should definitely get Tyler on the next committee. He was fantastic contributor. 
Um, so I think having that reputation and maintaining it is really key to continuing on and getting those opportunities in the future. And I really do appreciate you saying that. I really find it interesting that you're mentioning a lot reliability, which is something that I think is a very important lesson, especially for rising professionals to really understand and kind of utilize whenever they're coming up in the field, because you're trying to make a name for yourself. Networking is one way to do it. Another way is to really, you know, let your actions speak for yourself rather than what you can just say you do on paper. And I find it interesting, like we're all trying to get established in this field. And so showing someone who is a veteran how reliable you are and you are someone that they can depend on, I feel like that's just as important as the networking itself, because you should definitely show what you are capable of. And that ties back into how you present yourself and how you come off to other people. And I feel like having your actions speak louder than your words. I know it's a cliche phrase, but I really do think it holds true, especially for this field as well. And it's always interesting to hear of how other people got started in this profession. I actually was extremely fortunate to get an experience with research at the Center for the Intrepid in San Antonio. And I had wonderful mentors there, John Ferguson, Lee Childers. They both helped me out a lot with making me discover this passion. And I know for many students like myself, you know, we may have different reasons for starting out, but once you're in school, you start to really understand, you know, yeah, this is what I want to do. I'm enjoying learning all this stuff. And school may tend to teach you just the basics of our profession, but our professors are doing absolutely everything in their power to provide us with the tools that we need to succeed. And believe me, they do a wonderful job. And I cannot thank my UT Southwestern professors enough for providing us all the information they do. They're absolutely stellar. And I'm sure with every program in the US, it's the same way. What I've been told countless times by many practitioners in the field is that you tend to gain the vast majority of your experience during your residency and in the ever continuing practice within this field. So what would you say to students who are either just beginning in their O&P journey into residency post-graduation, or even to the residents who are about to become licensed practitioners? And how do you discover what options are available to you outside of just being a practitioner? So I've had many mentors in the field and continue to do so and acquire new ones, which is always fun. And now I have a chance to be a mentor to other people, which is really cool to see it come full cycle. And when I was discussing with my mentor, you know, what else can I do beyond clinical? I think... I've really enjoyed this experience, but I don't know that I wouldn't do it long-term. So what might that look like? And he said, you know, there's essentially four areas. You can go into academics and be a professor and teach. You can go into research. You could still stay in clinical. And then the fourth is working more on the corporate or business side. And every role either fits into one of these categories. And there's some roles that are really neat. And I'm seeing more often now, you know, research prosthetist, things like that that have little pieces of these four areas. And he said, you know, pick one, explore it, see what you think, pick the next one, explore it. And if you need to make your own role down the road, which is definitely a possibility, I think a lot of organizations are open to that, then that could be a great way to go as well. And part of that, talking to as many people as you can, understanding their perspectives. And I think the conferences in our field are truly the best ways to find these individuals and connect with them and I would say get beyond your comfort zone. Really go out there by yourself with your business cards, ready to go, ready to talk about yourself and learn from other people. And again, think about what can I share 
with a seasoned clinician, they would love to hear about how things are going in school. They want to know what are they teaching now? What are the methods they teach? You know, 3D printing, do they teach scanning? What are the socket types you're learning in school? And we all want to know that. And so you have a lot to offer. And so I think just getting these different perspectives, 20, 30 minute coffee chats, things like that, having a call, these are great ways to learn about, oh, that job sounds really, really cool. I would love to be you know, a research prosthetist at the VA. If that sounds really cool to me, then you start doing your LinkedIn searches and figuring out who are the people with those roles, tapping in your connection and saying, this is something I'm interested in. What suggestions do you have? Do you know people that do this role? And just keep adding to your research and then figuring out what would I have to do to become the ideal candidate for this piece? Or if you really can't find anything, thinking about, could I adjust my current role to add more things in that I'm excited about? Can I add some teaching to my role? Could I find a way to be involved with research? And if you can't do it in your full-time job, what are ways to tap into any of these four areas beyond my nine to five? And they're, like we've mentioned, there's so many ways to do that. Getting involved with professional organizations is the first thing that I would recommend. And we're always excited to have new folks on the team. And then going back to what we said earlier, being reliable, showing up on time, being ready with those days tasks, contributing and following up are going to make you successful. And it'll just give you a good sense of what the field looks like overall. I think each clinician that's been in the field for a few years has a mental map of what the field looks like, who works where, who are the major players, what are the trends. When you get to that spot, it's a lot easier to see where you might slot in. And those things change. And it's okay if your long-term goals change. I know mine certainly have. And it's really exciting to see that develop for yourself along the way. I really like how you're saying we really just have to keep pursuing not just our interests, but keep pursuing what we believe would overall help the field. And I just think it's a very laudable endeavor for you, especially going from one field into pursuing another. You're always trying to make those connections and really reaching out is, I think, the the big key takeaway from this entire conversation. And just making sure that you give it your all and that you are putting everything that you can into what you do. And I want to give you another deserved shout out for being selected as the 2022 ONP Woman of the Year for the Orthotic Prosthetic Group of America. And please correct me if I'm wrong. Aside from being a stellar clinician when you were and an MBA candidate, you co-founded a diversity council and you started a mentorship program. And the reality of our field is that it's quickly changing from being primarily male-dominated, and it's transitioning into something that's more diverse and an opportunistic field for people that come from all backgrounds and experiences. And anytime I hear someone promoting these programs, I can't help but appreciate the laudable endeavor that it is. And being the CEO of your own brand not only entails how you carry yourself in the professional environment, but it also the values that you yourself hold dear. And so I was just hoping you could elaborate a little bit more on how you utilize the values that you have and the strengths that you have come to ascertain throughout your years in order to maximize the potential for opportunities to excel in this field. Um, so I think working in clinical care really very quickly distilled down what my values were, what I wanted to spend my precious time on. And I really thought about, I want to be a good contributing member of this team. Every situation that I'm in, I want to make it better. So me being in the room should make that room better. Me being in a group should make that group better, whatever that looks like. 
And then I also realized this, just this desire to help the patients that I worked with previously in an ONP sense and thinking about how can we make more system level changes? How do I make a bigger impact? And so those have really become the things now when I evaluate opportunities, working on committees or different roles, I think about, do these things support my values? Will they challenge me in different ways? Or have I done this before and it's a matter of repetitions or getting more reps in as if you're at the gym? And I really think about that carefully because I want to make sure that now at this stage of my career, I know the things that I want to do. And so how can all these activities really support those values that every day I feel like I'm working towards those end goals? Absolutely. And the values that we all hold dear, I mean, helping patients is a value that I would hope that all of us have. And there's a lot more to it than just directly helping the patients. If you find five years in, hey, I think I have other opportunities I'd like to pursue because in my opinion, I feel like I can help this field and myself by giving my all to this other opportunity that we have available. I think that that's obviously an endeavor that we should all consider because burnout is probably one thing that I know they talked about at the academy with some clinicians, but I think what you've done is a really great way to combat that in a sense is, okay, if you're starting to feel like maybe I don't want to be a clinician and not it's not for everybody, but maybe if I don't want to be a clinician, I can go ahead and with all these opportunities that I have available to me because I made them available to me, I can use these opportunities to open up doors. And I mean, that's really all this is about for being a rising professional is you want to maximize the amount of doors you have available to you so that you can just start, you know, Scooby-Doo going through the halls, opening up all these doors. And uh, right. hopefully there's not a monster behind one of them, but... Right. <laughs> Learning experience, that's what they're Learning experience, yeah, we call those monsters. Well, thanks again for joining us, Nina. And thanks to everyone for listening to this episode of ONP Rising. Join us each month as we continue our conversation with seasoned ONP professionals as they share candid insights on topics relevant to those interested in starting on the right foot when it comes to a career in ONP. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast on Apple, Spotify, Google, or wherever it is you listen to your favorite podcasts. And don't forget to check out the Academy's other podcasts for ONP professionals, the award-winning ONP Research Insights with Dr. Steve Gard and ONP Clinical Insiders with Academy Scientific Society's Chair Seth O'Brien, a podcast that was created for conversations on specific areas of clinical care. For more information on the American Academy of Orthotists and Prosthetists, please visit us online at onp.org. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time.